Okay, that's it. We're live then. Cool. Uh, I guess first of all, uh, yeah, welcome to the workshop. We this is kind of a new thing for us. This is our third workshop, so we're gonna keep on doing it. Um, just see what people want. See what will be valuable. And I'll go ahead and throw this. Wait, that's the wrong link. Here is the next event we're going to be having. This is uh, this is the pleb dev workshop. This one's going to be the post grad workshop because uh, our guy Topher is literally teaching at UT, I think, uh, like a postgraduate course on Bitcoin, the white paper. So he's going to show us that for free. You don't have to pay six figures and go to graduate school for that. So I'm stoked on that. I'll definitely be here. But yeah, here's what we're doing today. Uh, we're going to look at how to use GitHub first time some of the terminology. We're going to talk about web applications, what they are, and then we're going to build our first React app. So yeah, here is the link to the slides. You're going to want to pull this up first. Um, and on this, it'll have the link to the projects once we, once we get to that portion. And it'll also have uh, blocks of code that you'll be copying and putting over into it. So yeah, just let me know if you're not able to pull this up. Need me go back to that? Just let me know. Uh, also, yeah, feel free. Uh, a lot of this at first, we're going to be going through slides and we're going to be talking about a lot of big topics and kind of glazing over them a little bit because that's that's what you have to do uh, if you want to just get started and get your hands dirty. But happy to just answer any questions as uh, stuff comes up. So, yeah, this is the topics we're going to talk about: pleb devs, experience devs, uh, intro to GitHub, intro to web applications. And then we're going to do the live demo building our first React app. So um, I guess, first of all, about me and about the pleb devs. Um, this is me. Uh, <laughs> I was just a very regular Bitcoin pleb for many years. I wanted to be involved. Uh, I didn't know how. Um, I thought about coding for a long time, but I felt that I wasn't smart enough, that I wasn't the right kind of person. I wasn't good enough. But you know, eventually you just start to answer the call. And um, that's what happened for me. It, and it took many years. I'm, I'm still a pleb dev. I'm learning from all the guys around here all the time. But I've kind of realized that uh, that sense that you need to be a super genius 10x engineer in order to be a Bitcoin dev, it's not true. And actually, in the future, we're going to need a lot of pleb devs or a lot of people that kind of just were scrappy and got their way there and they can build applications because you know there's the protocol work in Bitcoin and that's very important and it's very difficult, but really it's applications that are gonna bring Bitcoin to the end users. And so that's gonna be a majority of devs in the future. That's kind of my thesis, my vision. And so what I wanna do is just connect with the pleb devs, the people who have a little experience or maybe the people that are wanting to start and uh, for us just to be able to communicate and level up together. Um, so that's kind of my thing. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about experienced developers first. So um, 
it's obvious, like we know experienced developers are good at writing code. So I left that part out. But these are the unintuitive things that I found over my time that experienced developers are, are really good at that as a pleb dev, when you're walking the journey, you kind of will be sharpening these skills. And so I broke it down into searching, reading and copying. <laughs> uh, and so with searching, uh, experienced developers, they're expert Googlers. They can find, um, they know all the right terminology to search. They can track down their error messages and they know how to find tools that are solving the problems they, they might be working on in their app. Um, they're good at reading. And so this, this is one part that it's hard for me to learn is just like taking it slow, reading the documentation, understanding the tools that you're using, reading through Stack Overflow, where people might have run into similar bugs that you have in the past. Um, and then just reading other people's code who, you know, have, have built bigger projects than you've been able to build, starting to learn from that over time. Yeah. Yeah, that is another good thing to do is, is following tutorials. Um, but if you only just follow tutorials and just copy code on the screen, uh, a lot of people do that and they feel like they're making progress. And that's good, you can make progress, but it can also be a little bit of a trap. You wanna be able to go to the blank screen and write the code or know what to search and find what to write. Um, so yeah, but YouTube's still definitely good. Um, and then copying, copying is good. Good developers, they copy other people's code. If there's uh, most problems that have come up while making apps have been solved already. So if it's already been solved, you might as well find an implementation that works. So yeah, they find the code they need that might've been written in the past. They use tools and libraries that do stuff for them. Like, you know, if you're building Bitcoin applications, you'll use encryption libraries that have been around for a decade or something like that. Um, and then they find maybe similar projects, similar implementations of what they're building it, and they refactor that to their needs for the app that they're building. And so these are kind of the unintuitive things I've learned and uh, the skills that I'm still trying to sharpen. And so, yeah, let's get into talking about GitHub. Um, GitHub was really confusing to me when I was starting as a developer, and, and people didn't really explain the importance of it to me. And so, you know, here, here's kind of a high level description. Um, it's a website, a cloud based service that helps developers store and manage their code and track down control changes to their code. Uh, it may not seem important uh, on the surface level, but this really, really impacts things. If you start uh, your kind of dev journey working from GitHub and being um, consistent about pushing your code and checking your versions, you'll write better code you'll be able to track your progress much better. And there's just a lot of advantages to it. Also any job, like if you wanna get a job in, in Bitcoin or as an engineer at all, they're gonna expect you to know how to work with GitHub. Um, and so GitHub is based off of a protocol called Git. Um, we're not gonna talk too much about Git, but Git was invented probably 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, as a way for multiple developers working on the same code base to be able to organize all their changes. Because if I'm working on you know, the header file and another developer is working on the header file, we might both make changes that conflict with each other when we push them up. And so GitHub and Git really has solved that problem and it's become the primary workflow for how developers build stuff together. Um, and so why use GitHub? Um, 
So easily track updates to your own projects, collaborate with other developers on your projects or other open source projects. GitHub is mainly about collaboration, but there's a lot of advantages just using it as a solo pleb dev working on your projects. Um, you have easy access to all the world's open source code. You can reference and learn from, contribute to. The Bitcoin core code is on GitHub. You can go read through all of that. You can go read through all the issues. You can see all your favorite open source projects. They're all going to be on GitHub. Um, so that's a good thing to learn from. So you open your code up for feedback and contributors as well, because um, you can just throw it up there. People might come across it. Maybe they're working on something similar. Uh, I've actually had like, like students in university like um, hit me up because I made a project and they were doing something similar and they found it. And yeah, I've had cool random opportunities from, from that. But for the most part, people won't be looking at it. <laughs> like it's pretty rare um, unless you start to get a bunch of followers. And so this also backs up all of your code projects on the cloud for free. You know, if you drop your laptop in a boating accident or something like that, you can have all your code backed up forever. Um, and so you don't need to worry about that. Um, and then my, my favorite thing and the big motivator for me is GitHub can act as your proof of work as a pleb dev. You can think of it as a portfolio for all of your code, showing off your progress, what you've made and how much code you've pushed. So this has been one of my big advantages. Uh, I haven't been the best, cleanest developer who made the coolest stuff, but I continually push code almost every day. And that alone opened me up to opportunities where you know, people came across me or I sent them my GitHub and they were like, wow, well, you know, he at least works really hard and has made a lot of progress. And so I think that's a great advantage to just grab onto if you're starting is just push code every day and use uh, those contributions as kind of like a to-do list and a way to motivate you. And so, yeah, that's why, why to use GitHub. Um, here's some GitHub terminology that we're, we're going to glaze over this stuff. Uh, but a lot of this stuff, it, it takes a few encounters for it to really sink in. Um, but it really is simple, um, even though the words are kind of strange and fancy. Uh, but like starting at the top, we have repository, which that's just the folder that a single code project lives inside of. We call it a repo a lot of times. Um, you have a commit. A commit is a single instance of a change of code that you made locally, and then you're sending it up to your hosted code on GitHub. Um, staging is the act of basically taking your local changes, your commits, and packaging them, getting ready to push them up. And then we have push. That's the act of actually pushing them up. And so this process would basically go if you're if you're updating a header, uh, you know, some text on a header, you would update it, you would save it on your machine, you would say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something called add. And when I add, that stages it, that prepares that change to be pushed up, packages it in a certain way. And then I would say, okay, commit. And when I commit, I would leave a little message, like updated the header text, and then I would push it. And when I pushed it, it would be on the hosted repo on GitHub, and then everyone else could see that change. They could pull it down themselves. Um, and then uh, going from there, we have branch. Branches are basically, um, they are the ways that you divide the repo up. So maybe if I am working on the header, like that, that previous example, I would, we would have a main master branch, which is the full project. 
and I might make a new branch, like update header branch. And what this will allow me to do is make all the changes I want, push that up, and then what we'd be able to do is compare the two branches and uh, basically see like, okay, did you change what we wanted you to change? Does it look good? Was there any accidents? Is anything broken? And at that point, that's where we would go to a pull request or a PR. And this is where you are basically opening up an official request that, hey, I made these changes to the header. I want to merge it into the main code base. And the pull request will start this process of a conversation and a review with the other collaborators on the repo. Um, and what's so cool is that you can do this you know, with open source projects, working with totally pseudonymous people that you don't know, and you can just collaborate uh, immediately and, and get changes in these open source projects. And the final two are clone and fork. Um, cloning, we're just, yeah, we're pulling down from that remote repo and we're just getting a local copy. Um, and so this is what you'd wanna do if you wanna run mempool.space locally or something like that. You'd clone it down and you start to run it. And then forking, we know a little bit about forking in Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> forking is the act of basically there's that hosted remote repo and you're taking it and you're saying, I want my own version. This is, you know, mempool's version of mempool.space, but I'm going to take my own version. I'm going to fork it from where they're doing. It. I'm going to do whatever it, I want with it um, and change it as I please. And as we know, anyone can fork Bitcoin, right? But you have to get, <laughs> you have to do a lot more than that if you want to take over or change Bitcoin. Are forks bad? No, forks are good. Forks, uh, forks keep keep projects honest, I think, because if I'm making, maybe I'm making a really cool wallet in Bitcoin or something like that, and it's open source. Maybe I'm a, like a super authoritarian over what features can come in. And I'm like, no, no privacy features, but it's a great wallet. Someone else could say like, you know what? I don't like you, dude. Like I'm going to take, I'm going to fork this over. I'm going to make my own version. I'm going to open it up. And if that's actually more valuable than what I'm doing, they'll get more users and that fork will win out. Um, yeah, so an example of actually a, a really cool successful fork, I think, is um, Citadel, where a lot of us know about Umbral, which is this uh, node package software. But there's actually a fork of Umbral called Citadel, where they made kind of different security trade-offs. And they're also running Nix Bitcoin instead of just the regular Bitcoin core client. And so Nick, uh, well, Nick is supposed to be here, but... <laughs> What's up? Nix, Nix Bitcoin is just a different implementation of the Bitcoin protocol, which I know you know that super, but happy to answer. But yeah, that's just an example. If there's something valuable you can add to a project, maybe you just fork it over and you make your, your own unique version that has this new feature uh, if you can't work with the actual project itself. And so, yeah, these are some of the main terms. There are more, but um, yeah. It'll just take some practice in getting your hands dirty. So yeah, let's check it out. Let's uh, let's just look and glance at GitHub right here. Um, so I've got mempool.space open, one of my favorite open source projects, and I can kind of see some of the some of these pieces of terminology here in action. And so just on the main page here, we have all of the code right here. So this is the actual repo. Um, all of these folders, all of these files are inside of, of this one repo. So this is the main project. You can see here we have, this is a dropdown that shows the branches. So there's a master branch here, but then they've got all of these other feature branches and 
different branches that have been made that might or might not have already been merged into the master, but the master is what is really the production application. Um, if we scroll down, usually the readme is gonna be right here below all the code. So if you're checking out a new project, you will wanna come look through the readme and it'll tell you how to install it and get it running locally. Maybe if you wanna, yeah, contribute to it or something like that. Um, and then we go over to two of the more interesting parts, which is the issues and the pull requests. And so issues, this is basically where you can request a change or where the people working on the project, they lay out essentially their to-do list. Um, and so let's look at one here. Uh, Lightning node map doesn't load when there's no channel data. So we can look at this, someone's posting a very small issue. Um, they're giving some reference and some screenshots to it. And there's not really a conversation here. Let's find, let's go to these that are closed. There might be a conversation. Yeah, a little bit. You, uh, sometimes there's back and forth in conversation inside of the issue, but this is basically where you will lay out essentially your to-do list or your request for a changes that you want made. And then in the pull requests, this is where those changes are actually considered to be brought into the main project. And so in the pull requests, we have these people asking for their changes to be merged into the master branch. So um, show zero sats when country has no liquidity. Right? I don't know what that means, but someone posted here, they referenced an issue actually. Um, and then if we go to these different tabs, we can see their commits. So this person only had one commit. And then we can see the files that were actually changed in that commit. And this part is what's cool right here. This, this is nice because it's very simple. They changed one file. We see here in the red, this is what was taken away. This is what was added. And so this is a way that you can kind of just look through a pull request and see like, okay, what, you know, what happened? What is this about? What did they change? Um, and there's also more fancy things you can do. Big projects, they'll run tests that when you have a pull request open, they'll run tests on it automatically to see, you know, does this break the project? Does this break the code base or anything? Um, but that stuff will be automatic. As a pleb dev though, you mainly just are gonna be focusing on, you know, what is the issue? And then how am I gonna go through the pull request process? So that's a quick little intro, um, just looking through someone else's repo. I'll go ahead and show you my favorite part of GitHub. Um, it's right here. <laughs> this is this is your contributions chart. And so this is where you can track your proof of work as a pleb dev. Um, all of these green squares, they represent one or more contributions or basically code that was pushed up on, on my projects. And so every day that I push code, I get a little green square and I get to feel good about myself and, you know, just put another, you know, another check on another day. And so a lot of the code I've written, I have 163 repos. A lot of the code I've written isn't great, but I've continued to work and I've continued to progress. And so uh, that's what's really important as a pleb dev is just getting those reps in. And so, yeah, that's the big in incentive, like set up your GitHub account. And then with the project we do today, uh, if it's your first time, you'll be able to get your first contribution and your first repo up. And from there, you can just keep messing around with it, you know, change the styles, add a feature, you push it up and you'll just be stacking those green uh, squares. And so, yeah, that's that's a little bit about GitHub and kind of why to use it. Um, a lot of information there. Any immediate questions that come up?
Yeah, you actually can. Um, it's interesting. I was, I was telling my wife this, that I thought it would be cool if she did her writing on GitHub because you can do markup files, which is, yeah, just essentially text with some styling capabilities. Um, and when you push that, it works just like a contribution. So you could be working in public uh, doing writing. And in fact, um, the Mastering Lightning book was fully written on GitHub. So they wrote this book, multiple collaborators, and when collaborator wanted to add a paragraph, maybe, they would open up an issue and they would talk about, hey, we should add this paragraph about gossip or whatever. And then they would write the text and they would uh, submit a pull request and it would get merged in just like any code project. So yeah, there really is different cool things you can do. Uh, you can have design assets and stuff like that as well. And so, yeah, it's, it's a good way to collaborate. And track progress um, and so here's here's some resources that I just collected on github and stuff that you'll maybe want to check out as you're starting to do this on your own we have a cheat sheet that will show you the commands you know how do I commit something how do I push something um, there's a beginners tutorial here uh, here's kind of a tutorial on how to contribute to an open source project so going through the pull request process can be pretty intimidating for the first time, but this is a good guide. This is the exact one I actually used when I contributed to my first open source project about four or five months ago. Um, we have what is Git explained in two minutes. So Git, remember, is kind of the core protocol that GitHub works on. That's a lot more fundamental. And then the, here's kind of a cool cultural story just about how Git changed the, the history of software, really, and the trends of where we're going. And so, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about web applications now. I'm going to make this full screen. So web applications versus websites. Um, this is kind of a fine line, and, and it can be pretty confusing for people at first. But my focus is on web applications, and I think it's a good focus for all the plug devs focus on web applications. So the real difference here is websites, you're showing static content. I can post videos, I could put my blog on a static, a regular website, but that content isn't dynamic uh, per se. Where with a web application, I can have users interact with the content, change it, update it. You can have payments like they have in here, credit card, we would never do that, but you know, if you wanted to, we'll do lightning <laughs> eventually. Uh, you know, authentication with passwords, you can have chatting inside of it. And so web applications, there's really, there's very few limits on what you can do as far as how users can interact with your software and interact with the data that you're showing them. And so nor normally getting into web applications, it, there's a lot of um, steps that you would start before and a lot of things that you would learn before, like how did people build websites in you know, the early 2000s? Uh, we're not necessarily going to focus on that. We're going to glaze over that a little bit, but we're going to get right into a modern uh, technology that people use, which is React. Um, and I think that it's totally fine to start from there. And so, yeah, this is just a little bit about websites versus web applications. I think these first two or three points are the most important. So design for interactions with end users versus websites basically contains static content, web application user of a web application can read uh, the content of a web application, also manipulate it versus where they can't on the website. Um, Pre-compiled. So that's just basically how, how does it run? Um, 
how is it built uh yeah and then it talks about how web applications are a bit more complex versus websites like if you're making a just a blog or something like that you should make a website you don't need to make a web application but going down the web applications direction that's what unlocks all of these capabilities that are you know a step or two steps away once you know the fundamentals such as connecting into lightning having authentication um you know manipulating data letting users manipulate data and so those are the really cool fun things and so yeah why web applications i've already kind of been talking about this but so you know it's how end users interact with software like there's lots of people writing software but people don't interact with software until they're gi it's given to them in the form of an application in a form that they can actually interact with um and then yeah bitcoin apps are what will bring bitcoin and lightning to the world people aren't going to be using um bitcoin core cli to <laughs> like interact with their bitcoin and their keys and do stuff like that we're, we're going to build better and better wallets better and better uis to just make it easy and totally intuitive to use Bitcoin and Lightning in a, in a good, secure way. And so web app development, which is what we're focused on here, it's the easiest way to start building um, applications, software for real users. When you learn web app development, you're, um, yeah, like I say here, you're basically a few steps away for building larger at scale applications, mobile apps, and even desktop apps, which I've gotten to do all three of these now. And it really is like once you learn the fundamentals, the world is really your oyster. You can start to go in a lot of different directions. It's it's really fun. And so web apps are the quickest to learn. Um, they're fast to build and update compared to its counterparts. Uh, they're pretty easy to deploy and host. And you know you can make your project, you know, in a, in two days, and you can host it in about ten minutes. And uh, you know, send the link to all your friends and have people interact with it. Um, and then this last point here, protocol development is important, but in the future, a majority of Bitcoin and Lightning developers will be application devs versus protocol devs. And this is kind of what I was talking about in the beginning that, you know, we love the protocol. We love the 10X engineers that are working on the Bitcoin and the Lightning protocol, but really a lot of the future belongs to the pleb devs who are going to rise up and be able to build products and be able to work on products to deliver to end users. And so very bullish on that future. Um, so yeah, the basic web dev stack. So if you were starting at a boot camp or maybe at college, um, this would be these three languages would be kind of your first intro and in how you would learn how to be a web developer. Uh, we've got HTML, CSS and JavaScript, the basic web dev stack. So HTML, um, there's kind of a good house analogy you can think of for these three languages, where HTML is kind of like the structure of your house. It's the studs, it's the frame, it's the foundation. Um, where, and then CSS is the styling, it's the paint, it's the, you know, the tile, it's the drapes. And then JavaScript is the functionality. It's the electricity, it's the plumbing, it's the garage door, it's the stuff that's actually functional. And so with HTML, we kind of, we lay out blocks of content that are very dumb and simple. With CSS, we style those blocks and we make them pretty. And then with JavaScript, we bring them to life. Um, and so here's like a stupidly simple example of this whole stack in action. We have a box here. You click the box, it tells you you clicked. There's the example, what does this look like? So. 
here's the HTML and CSS for this. And so you can see the HTML is very simple. We have right here, this is called an element, HTML element, a div. That basically just means it's an empty, ambiguous box. You know, it can, you can put anything inside of a div. And uh, we're putting an ID on it, and then we're just saying the box. Uh, in CSS here, uh, there's there's a lot more code here, but um, these are basically the styles that we're adding on. And so where we're saying body right here, this lets us refer to the entire body of our app. Um, the body of the HTML is kind of the largest unit of the HTML that you can work on. And so we're pointing to the body to say, okay, let's change the background of this color. And then we have our div here. And with our div, we are adding these styles with height, line height, background, all of these things to make it, you know, a clickable box. Um, CSS is can look pretty intimidating, but it's actually very easy to search for this stuff online and figure out like, oh, I want to make, you know, my button clickable. I want to make it this color. I want to give it a border. Um, and so all of those things you'll kind of learn as you're building and going back and doing reading and searching, which is, yeah, just the ultimate way to accelerate your progress. And so this is the HTML and CSS. But then the part that gets our message to pop up, this is what the JavaScript looks like. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit funky looking. This is what we call JavaScript or vanilla JavaScript. This was just the you know, original JavaScript that was released in, I think, the late 90s or early 2000s. What? It is, it is beautiful. Super loves uh, vanilla JavaScript. And so I'm not as big of a fan, but I did learn it. Um, and so just to walk you through what we're doing here, we're pointing at this thing called document. The document refers to the whole of the HTML body. And then we're telling it to get an element by ID. It's the box. We're adding what's called an event listener, which is listening for a certain event. We're saying click. And on that event, we have what's called a function. And a function lets us run logic. And then we're doing this thing, alert, you clicked. So. There's a few pieces here, but um, you know it, it, it is it is pretty simple. But it just takes that familiarity and that practice to remember the stuff off the top of your head. Like when I do vanilla JavaScript today, I have to go s Google search the most simple things. Um, and really, this is what even a lot of experienced developers do. I've seen like very senior developers just search the most basic stuff that you learn in your first week, and that's because they're good. Because a lot of the stuff you don't want to store it in your head. You want to store the bigger concepts in your head. And the syntax you can always look up or how the code actually looks. And so that's our little example in our basic web dev stack, uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. But then if we are going to do React, things would be a bit different. And so we have here kind of a, a funny example where someone's laying out on the left just a bunch of these HTML uh, <laughs> blocks for, I don't know, some kind of dropdown or some kind of list. And then you can show how you could do this in React with much shorter, much less code. So that's just kind of an example of how React can make things a lot shorter and a lot easier and more concise to write. And so let's look, uh, yeah, let's explore the same example that we looked at before implementing in, the, in React, the, the clickable box. Um, and so we go right here, and this is what's called a React component. And you see we're saying uh, export default function app. So app is our component. We have a return. And then here, what are we returning? This is basically HTML that we're returning. And right here is where our functionality is. We're able to just say on click, 
we pass it a function and then we're able to do that same alert and then we've got our text right here and so it's a little bit different of a format um, than how javascript works but it's much easier once you get a, the hang of it so this is called a component um, a component is a fancy name for something that does logic and then returns ui or returns markup returns something that the user can interact with so here we don't actually have any logic in here except for the on click functionality but you could put all sorts of math functions you know you could calculate numbers you could pull data from an api and you could then return it and display it to the user and even let them click on it and when they click on it it could change and so we'll kind of be doing stuff like this in our react demo so yeah this is what this looks like in react we then have yeah the same kind of css file that we're using as before um, you can see at the top here we're just importing it and yeah that's that same example in react so React and JavaScript, um, you know, it's really, it's the same language at their core, but it's how we interact with the language. And I think React is just a much better way to interact with it and to write less code that does more. So what do we've got next? Why React? Um, so React, what, what even is React? React is basically a framework or a library is what the name that developers give it that it's basically an extension onto JavaScript that changes things up and gives us new capabilities. Um, and so these are some of the differences between React and JavaScript. As a pleb dev, probably the efficient debugging, um, the blazing fast and reusability, SEO friendly, those are probably the most relevant. A lot of the other features in React, you won't really start to appreciate until you become like a super nerd. But it, it, very, it really is nice and um, learning React, it opens up all of these other frameworks um, and languages that exist that you can start to interact with once you understand how React works. And so, yeah, any, any questions on any of that? Okay. <laughs> well, it reacts for you, that's what's cool. Every time you save, uh, you change your header and you save it, it updates right there on the screen. And so now we're gonna do our little React app uh, project. And so here's where you can get the links. So what we're gonna use is Replit. Replit is a website that lets you code inside of it. And then uh, we'll show you the results of that and render the web page or whatever for you. And so I have a follow along project, which is kind of an empty shell that we'll be filling in over the next few minutes. And then I have the finished project. And so you can check them out on GitHub, but really we're just gonna be working out of Replit for right now. So I'll show you what the final project looks like, what we're gonna be building. My goal is to make this as simple as possible. I built it and then I tried to take away as much code as I possibly could. And so I think it's 100 lines of code in total across three different files. So let's look at it. This is our little pleb pool. Um, we're showing the Bitcoin price here dynamically in the header. And then we have recent blocks from the mempool. And I'm doing this by pulling from the mempool API, which we'll learn how to do. And so you can look at these blocks and you can see the height. They're in descending order. And then if you click on one of them, it will redirect you to mempool where you can see that specific block and all the rich information. And they're a much better UI than mine. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is what we're going to be building in, in a few files. So let's jump into it um 
if you have, oh yes, um, did I have that? Yes, so when you open Replit, uh, when you open that link, you should see an option to fork it. And so this is what you want to do, fork it so you have your own version. And once you do that, you can actually connect your GitHub through Replit if you want. Uh, we, we can talk a little bit about that. And you can also do that locally as well. But yeah, so go ahead and fork that. Um, I'm not sure if it'll make you make an account, but you can connect through Twitter or GitHub or something like that if you do need to. And I'll just... I'll give you all a second to get this rolling um, and then kind of leave it up for any questions while you're getting that prepared. Yeah, you can learn React and backfill to JavaScript, but it'll be a little bit more difficult going from React to just regular JavaScript versus JavaScript to React. But at its core, they work the same way. They function essentially the same way. So if you write you know, a, a special function that takes your user's name and it turns it all to lowercase and it gets rid of the white spaces, something like that, um, if, if you make that in JavaScript or if you make that in React, it'll essentially be the same code. You'll just wrap it up a little different. Um, and you'll, which path do I recommend? I recommend starting with React, which is kind of why I'm teaching that. Um, a lot of people would actually disagree with me and definitely open to that like critique and feedback, but we don't use, okay, I'm, I am critiqued. We don't really use vanilla JavaScript uh, for building almost anything anymore. Like at scale, if you're actually going to do big projects, there are lots of exceptions like Super, who does nearly everything in, in vanilla JavaScript. He just prefers it. <laughs> but yeah, then everyone goes to Super's projects and they're like, hey, why did you write this in vanilla JavaScript? And like, can we change it? And can we use React? Can we use this or that? And so I think um, learning React will get you quicker to making stuff that one, other people can work on, and uh, that two, you can basically build on and build with the modern tools that are out today. It also, it makes it easier to deploy. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of advantages to it. But that's my perspective, open, open to pushback on that. Anything else before we get into the demo? Okay, let's do it. So. Before we look at this, let's jump over. This should be, yep, my follow along. And so we'll kind of just explore a little bit of what this, what this looks like. We've got our files here. This is essentially our repo. And so we've got a public, we've got a source, SRC, and then an index.html. And so we open up source, and this is really where we're going to be working out of. If you ever see SRC inside of a repo or a project you want to work on, it, it will be the folder that holds the most important code that you'll be acting on, the header, the components, all the stuff that you'll likely be working on, the source code. All the other stuff around it will be configurations. They might be images, like public. I think this will have, yeah, it just has a, a favicon, like an image. Um, and then our index.html, this is basically required. We're, 
we're taking the old method of using HTML right here, but we uh, are inserting our React app into it. And so all of this stuff, this boilerplate, what we call it, this initial setup project, when you're building this on your own, you actually won't have to do this. Um, there's a real cool tool that I'll show you at the end called Create React App, where you run one single command, and then it'll generate an empty shell project just like this, and you can just start working on it. Oh, uh, you have to click Run. Yeah, so this is a little view showing what our app is currently doing. And so if we go into app.js here, um, we can see we're just saying hello world. And so we'll start to fill this out. Um, I also like throughout all of the code here that we're going to be copying over, I put comments in it to kind of explain what's happening. So that'll give you some context when you're going back over it. But it's super good as you're maybe going back over this or reviewing it to just do some Google searches, look a little deeper. What does this mean? What does this mean? And so we'll start from the very top level of how a React app works and talk about that just a little bit. So here we have our index.js. Um, and index is usually the main file that we use to insert into our HTML. And so all web pages are HTML. It just depends on how you use them, if you use vanilla JavaScript or something else. And so here, what we're doing is we're basically taking the React library, we're importing it in, and then we are creating a new element where we're doing this render function and we're returning our app inside of it. So looking at the, the HTML once again, we've got all this, you know, kind of boilerplate stuff that comes by default. And then we just have a script here where our app gets inserted into. Um, actually, that's the wrong script. This is the script. It's called root. This is where our app gets inserted into. And so back over to index, you can see we're saying get element by ID, root, and then we're just saying render our app. And so then in the app, that's where we actually start writing code. This is where we actually start to make changes. So I've got hello world here. I can change it and then um, it will update right here in the little window. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so let's get started by putting some code in. So we've got the very first slide here uh, to build our header component. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this full screen. And oh, I can't copy it from full screen, can I? There we go. If I double click on that, I can just copy all of this. And what I'm going to do with this is we're going to go right here. And if I right click on this source, I'm going to say add folder. We're going to make a new folder to store all of our components in. Um, and this will just help us organize things and keep things separate. So I'm going to say add folder, components. And then inside of components, I'm going to right click again. I'm going to add a file. And we're going to make a file called header.js. And then I'm going to paste my code in. And let's walk through this code. So here, we are making a header um, that will display at the top of the screen. So there's quite a bit happening here. But um, at the top, we where we have imports, imports are basically the way that we take other libraries or other tools, and we bring them into our app so we can start to use them. So I'm using something called Axios. And then obviously, here's React. We have our header component. So this is our main component. 
where we're actually doing logic here first, and then we're returning. We're doing some logic up here, and then we're returning some elements that are going to display the Bitcoin price. So what exactly are we doing with this logic? So I'm doing an API call to the Coinbase API to get the price of Bitcoin. And so what I did to find this is I just went, I like Google searched Coinbase, get Bitcoin price API, and it took me to this page. And, you know, I scrolled around and I saw this request right here um, for getting any currency and its spot price. And so I basically just copied and pasted this in. Um, and I set it to Bitcoin USD to spot. And so this should grab the price. But how are we actually doing this? Like, what is what is all of this that's happening? Um, starting from the top here, I have this this hook is what we call it called use effect it's basically just a fancy function and what this lets us do is have logic that activates at a certain time and this little empty pair of brackets right here determines when that happens but it's empty so since it's empty that means every time uh, the page gets refreshed this piece of logic inside of use effect will run and um, inside of the curly braces is where the actual logic lives. And we're saying axios.get. So axios is a library that lets us do API calls. Um, API calls are basically ways to get or post data from a database. And so we're doing an API call. We're, we're saying, hey, Coinbase's database, give us this piece of data every time this function runs. And so that's what a, a get request is, what we call it. So we're getting from this URL, and then we have two pieces of function, uh, functionality here called dot then and dot catch. Dot then is our success condition. It means the API call was successful, and we're passing a response back here. And then the dot catch means that something went wrong. We failed, and we're passing an error, and we're console logging it, where console logging just lets you basically see data from inside of your app in the web page. Um, and so when we do our dot, then we're getting our response from the API. And what I'm doing is I'm saying set price response dot data dot data dot amount. So this was, this was actually kind of dumb. They, uh, inside of a response, there might be data that's like nested in multiple ways. Um, and so you have to dig through it. Let's actually show what that looks like. I'm going to console log this which will let us see it inside of the web page. And so I'm going to save that. And let's um, open this in a new window. If I drag this over, there's this button right here, open a new tab that I can do. And it'll pull this up over here. And so, oh, there's nothing here. And I can tell you why there's nothing here. We need to import this in and put it in our main app, right? Because this in the main app is what's being returned. So I can actually say import um dot slash that means go up a directory i'm going to say dot slash components slash header i'm going to say import header from and then we can put the header right here as if it was its own html element okay so now let's go to our page here and Let's refresh this. 
So it looks like we're actually getting an error here. Wonder why that's happening. Oh, yes, it's because we need to, that is my bad. We need to name our file header.jsx. Very simple mistake there. JSX is, yeah, so it kind of has to do with the differences between regular JavaScript and React, where with JavaScript, we have .js, React, JSX, that kind of stands for the special elements that we return in React that are more dynamic. And so let's see if this fixes it. Let's open this in a new tab again. And so, ah, it's showing us another issue. We're trying to import something that doesn't exist yet. .components.css. So this is something we're actually gonna build in a minute. So let's go ahead and make this file and we'll just make it completely empty. Components.css. We'll just leave that empty for now, and then let's refresh again, see if it tells us any other errors. Okay, it doesn't. And it looks like it's showing us the Bitcoin price right here. It's colored in black and it looks terrible, but let's see what we were trying to see before. Okay, so before um, we were getting the price from the API, we then get a successful response. And I'm saying, okay, let's see this response. Let's log it. So here it is right here object okay we open it up and we have a bunch of fields here we want the data we open up data oh there's another thing called data and then we have amount and so you can see here i'm saying response dot data dot data dot amount these these dots basically let you dig deeper into the object of data that you've captured and so it's really good to get familiar with console logging um, data that you're working with so you can look through it and you can see, okay, what is this inside of? It's kind of like a, a Russian doll a little bit where you, you open up one piece and then there's the next piece. And so that's kind of how this is here. It's nested three levels deep. But now we have our, our Bitcoin price here looking very ugly, but it is real. This is live price. So, I mean, it should change. So it's changing in real time. So we're grabbing real dynamic data from Coinbase's database now, and we're showing in our app, which is pretty cool. Um, and so this is the whole API call we just talked about inside of our use effect. Um, and so I've got comments kind of talking about it that you can read once you dig in more to talk about it or, or to learn about it more. And we're setting price. So let's talk about this piece right here. What is set price? Where does this come from? So this comes from right above here, where just like we have use effect, which is this fancy function, we have this other fancy function called use state. Use state basically lets us define data that will live inside of a file, a single file of our, of our React. And so when I set this up, I'm saying there's price, and then there's set price, and then it equals, right now it's an empty pair of quotes. So at first, there's nothing. What price does, price refers to, refers to the value that exists on this data. Set price lets us set the data. So what happens? This, this whole file, when it loads, immediately it runs this logic. We call the API, we get our data, we immediately set that with our setter right here. 
And then once it's set, we have the price here to display. And below, that's what we're returning. Very simply, we're putting two HTML elements called an H3 and an H2. Those stand for header. They're headers of different size. You can have header one, header two, header three. And we're just saying, okay, this is the Bitcoin price. And then this fancy syntax where we have dollar sign curly bracket, this lets us take a value um, that might be changing every minute and then put it and display it to the user. And so that's exactly what's happening here. We have this special value that's being set in our price. It's updating every time the page refreshes and then it returns a different price every time if it changes, it didn't change that time. But yeah, um, and then finally we're doing export default header. This just lets us take this component and export it so that it can be available for the rest of the app. And that's what we did like right here when we, we imported it in and we put it inside of our main app. And so now we have, yeah, we have a header in here um, it seems to be working on my side. And we can see here like the data that's being console logged once again. So any questions here? Is anyone stuck here? Uh, yeah. Uh, the import. Yeah, the import is a little weird. Um, I'll go right back to that. Um, and so when we're doing imports, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's an important thing. It'll break unless it's JSX. Um, so anything you want me to show, I can pull back up here on the screen. So there's the app we have so far, and then inside of components, we have header. Yeah, import header from, and then the dot slash. You see how um, components is at the same level as where we are currently. So dot slash takes us a level up. And then we're saying, go inside of the components folder and inside of the components folder, grab header. Yeah, imports can be like really funny. You'll like write imports over and over again as a pleb dev as you're kind of learning. <laughs> It's, it's one of those simple ideas that like can be pretty confusing sometimes, especially when you have like 12 folders nested inside of each other. Um, it can be a little bit strange, but. Um, and one thing you can also do is just like right back here on the slides, uh, if you wanna pull up the finished project, you can just reference that on another tab or something like that. And maybe that'll help if there's some differences that I'm going through a little bit too fast here. Yeah, so anyone else uh, stuck on anything at the moment? Okay. Okay, so I know that was a, that was a lot, this is a lot of code and a lot of comments for one file, but for the rest of our app, we're only gonna have one other file here, and then we're just gonna style it. So we can come back to this uh, as well and kind of go over it for anyone who's not fully caught up. But so now for the, for the next slide here. Um, doo -doo. So here was the header component that we just copied over. So now we're gonna copy over the blocks component. 
So this is going to be our new file. So I'm going to double click here and copy this. I'm going to go over to our components folder. We're once again going to make a new file. And I'm going to call this blocks.jsx. Paste it inside. OK, and this is what will actually get us the blocks from mempool.space. So um, where do we start here? So first of all, uh, let's look at something we already saw before. We have our use effect here again. And once again, we're saying axios.get. Then this time we're setting blocks instead of setting price. And then we still have our dot catch in case there's an error so we can see what's going on. So what I did is I Googled mempool.space API blocks. And it took me to this page. And I kind of looked around for a little while. And I was able to see an example of um, an API call they do. And they tell us, do, do, if start height is specified, the past 15 blocks before and including start height are returned. So we could choose a starting height for what blocks from mempool to return. But I just left it empty. And so it'll get us the most recent. And so right here, you can see this is the URL mempool.space slash API v1 slash blocks. And that simple call will get us the blocks. And so we're getting the response. But this time, I'm actually I'm doing a cool little trick with something called a method dot sort. Anytime you see something with a dot and then these opening parentheses that are empty or maybe it has something inside of it, that's called a method which a method is, once again, it's just another fancy function. It's just another thing that does logic. And our sort method here, it just it sorts stuff. So I'm taking the response.data, and I'm saying sort. And I'm calling it sorted blocks. So I'm assigning this to a new value, sorted blocks. When you create a new value, a new piece of data in your file, you say const. You can call it whatever you want, equals, whatever you want it to be. So you know I could say you know, const sum equals two plus two. And this would just give me four. So it lets you both assign a value with a name and uh, even do logic on it at the same time. So that's exactly what we're doing. We have sorted blocks. We're setting it to our blocks. And once again, here we have the same use state where we're, um, yeah, we have the actual value itself and then we have the setter. And so, this time, though, we don't have empty quotes. We have these brackets. The reason that we have the brackets is it represents what we call a list or an array inside of JavaScript, which is essentially means it's multiple pieces of data, and they're listed out. So it's not just one big blob or one big piece of text. It's a bunch of individual pieces of data that we want to be able to access uh, individually. And so. Once we do that, so kind of, kind of a similar thing here where we're doing the API call, we're setting our data, and then we're going to return it. And so coming down here, we are returning it. But since we have a list of data, um, it's multiple pieces of data, we use another method right here, dot map. So blocks, once again, that's the data we're saving. And so when I say blocks.map, this lets me create a function where I'm getting each block. 
So blocks.map, I'm getting each block, and then I can return it. And then I can kind of write up some simple HTML here to get, you know, block.height, block.size. And let's actually, let's, um, let's console log this right here so we can look at it in the console again. Console log sorted blocks. And, oh, we won't be able to see this until we do our import. So once again, I'm going to go to app.js. I'm going to say import blocks from dot slash components slash blocks. And then right below the header, I'll just do the same kind of syntax here. And I spelled that wrong. And I'll put blocks. OK, so now that's in play. We can once again go back here to our full page. We see it's all displaying now. Oops. And I can go back in my console again, and I can see what the blocks look like. So now I'm still getting this console that is from our price. And now I'm getting these two others, which are from the blocks. And so you can see it's telling us right here it's 15 objects. They're all numbered. And you open up each one, and we've got all of this data that we could use, the nonce, the Merkle root, the size, the timestamp. And so there's a lot of data here you could work with. You can do really sophisticated things with this data if, if you know how to work with it. Um, but all that we're doing is we're grabbing each block and we're saying block.id, block.nonce. We have the block.height, the size, the transaction count. And then we put, looks like average fee here at the bottom. And so once again, using those same dots, we're able to dig into the data and grab the specific pieces of data we want to display. And so yeah, this one piece of functionality right here with our blocks.map, we're going through all 15 of those pieces of data and we're returning a container for each one. That's really what this is, is a container with um, dynamic data living inside of it. And so, yes. Yep. Yeah, mempool, uh, their API is open to anyone. So anyone can just pull their data right from them. Um, and yeah, like another, another piece about APIs, we talked about them a little bit, but I just think of APIs as the interface or the gateway to the database. So if I have a database of, you know, Austin's super special data, and I host that database, that's completely closed off. But I can build an API, which is basically a gateway for you to come in and get access to my database and pull data, potentially write data into my database if you have access to it, which you won't because it's Austin's super special database. So you won't have access. Um, yeah, um, most, most Bitcoin companies that are like, especially open source projects, they'll open that stuff up. So mempool is one of the most popular APIs where you can get data from. But there's also like Galois. Galois, they have their own API where you can get the price and you can get all this lightning information and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think what other big projects might, might have that. Um, yeah, something like Bitcoin Core itself is a lot different because Bitcoin Core isn't, isn't a website. And so if you were to interact with Bitcoin Core, you would use something totally different that uh, you, uh, you have to be a pleb dev for a little while to start messing with that. But 
with APIs, that just lets us get every database that's hosted on the web that might have an open API, we can just pull in all sorts of random data. Um, so there's fun, there's fun um, APIs to play with while you're learning. Like there's like a Star Wars API and a Simpsons API, but we're Bitcoiners, so I did mempool because um, I thought it was the coolest one. And so, yeah, that's that's a little bit more about API. So yeah, once again, at the high level, we're grabbing our data from their database using the API. We're setting it into our app's state using use state. And then when we do that, we're doing dot map to return each one of those blocks inside of its own container. And then inside of that container, we're saying, you know, height is equal to block dot height, block dot size, all that stuff. Um, so there's one other piece of functionality here, which we've seen, I guess, a little bit of before. On this whole box that we're returning, we have on click. And uh, on click, I'm calling a function, redirect, where I'm passing it block.id. So what is this, what is this doing? So up, ahead, uh, up above here, you can see I have const redirect equals hash, whatever that means. And then we are doing logic right inside of here. And so what this is really doing is for each block, each block has its unique ID that I want in order to refer to that block. And so I'm able to pass that block ID into this function. You could call it anything. I'm calling it hash, but I could call it X. I could call it Y. But really it's like whatever I'm passing in whenever I'm calling it. So I'm calling it right here. I'm passing in block.id. And then I'm doing window.location.replace. And I'm putting in this URL here where I'm passing in the hash at the end. Once again, using this fancy uh, dollar sign wrapped in curly braces syntax. And this is the part that lets us redirect to the exact block on mempool. And so I'm just going, I'm uh, going just right to the mempool website from here. And so we can see that in action uh, one more time. I already have this open. So I click and there we go. We're right here uh, to the specific block that we clicked on. And so that's what that functionality is doing. Um, and so, yeah, we're, let us now add in the styles. So this is so ugly to look at, so we can uh, make it a little better. So this will be the last slide of code here. Uh, double click on this once again. And then we already have our component CSS here made. I'll paste it in. And now I'll go click on this button again to open a new tab. And we should be all styled. Yep. And here we are. Um, and so you can see just a few, a few lines. What have we got here? Like 21, 20 lines of styling here. You can really turn stuff around. Um, I'm going to show you a cool little uh, trick um, for, for figuring out styles. So you can see right here, I have this background. And then I have just like all of this ungodly whatever mess this is. Uh, where did I get this from? I did not write this. Um, what I did was I was thinking to myself like, man, I want my block to look like mempool's block. And so I went to mempool's website and I opened up the, um, the terminal uh, or the, the inspector is what you call it. So if you right click on the web page, there's this option down here, inspect. I think if you're on like Windows or something like that, it'll be Control Shift I as a shortcut for that. And when I inspect it, 
I can go to this pointer right here. This lets us select an element on a page. And I went to the block. I clicked on the block and I kind of looked around. Here's all the HTML that exists. And I crawled around until, yeah, right here. I clicked on this, the whole face of the block. And I saw this style right here. Uh, that, that made things worse. Yeah, so right down here. So you can see all of their styles. You can see all of the HTML that you're, they're using on their web page. And, and I just took this and I copied the whole value. And then, uh, yeah, my block doesn't look exactly like theirs, but <laughs> has a similar gradient color. So this is just something you can do to inspect around, like, you know, how are people making things look like this? Or how are people doing animations? Stuff like that. And so, yeah. Um, then we have our CSS here. And so the most important thing to understand about uh, CSS is how we point to whatever elements we want to style. And that's what this dot syntax here. And so if we go back to, like, here's the header. Here's the styles for header. So let's go into header. If we go down here to what we're returning, we're saying class name equals header. And so putting a class name on an HTML element here is what will allow us to point towards it with styles. And so I put class name header. And then when I say dot, dot means class name. And then I can just call it what it is. And this you know, helps me refer to it. So like, um, like here, for example, I'm saying border bottom uh, orange, um, one pixel. I could change this to, uh, we'll change it to 10 pixels. And then you'll see this border on the bottom will get a lot thicker. And so normally when you do, uh, when you're doing styling, it's good to have a second monitor or screen and screen because you're kind of going back and writing stuff and then going back and looking at it. So it can be a little bit weird of a process. But so with that there, um, we've now added all the blocks of code in. And so it seems like it's working on my side. So I'm just going to open this up for anyone that's maybe still stuck or has any questions about any of this that we went over. Um, Yeah, and we can uh, we can also I can walk around here in a minute to do this. So let's slides here. So um, I'm going to go ahead and walk around here in a second, and I'll help any of you that are still grokking some of this stuff. But here on this final slide, I, I put it together kind of a little take home, um, and so. Here are these links to install uh, Node, which is a fancy technology, v Visual Studio Code, which is a place you can write code inside of, and then how to create a new React project, and then how to push that up to GitHub. So I think a good challenge would be on your own, try and go through this slide and generate a React app locally, which you can do with one command by following this tutorial, and then try and push that up to GitHub. Once you learn how to do that, you'll basically be able to generate React apps on React apps and just start writing and start pushing. Um, and so, yeah, you can rebuild the app today since you have that code to reference and some comments uh, or, you know, even add on to it or make your own app. 
And so, yeah, and so that's that's the last slide right there. So now uh, I'll go ahead and walk around and see if any of you need help. And for those of you who got it running, uh, like maybe some cool challenges would be to try and, well, for one, you could make the styling better. You could add more of the data to the blocks. Like for the blocks, we're using um, one, two, three, four pieces of data. But inside of the blocks, there's way more data that you could display. Um, and another cool thing you could try and do is, is display more than 15. And so maybe you could take the very last block and you could do another API call with that and even do pagination, having multiple pages for blocks. Um, but yeah, those are just some ideas to work off of this. But in general, what we just went over, I know that that was pretty, uh, like I said, we'd be glazing over. There's a lot of information that we're glazing over, but you can kind of see now a template project where you can generate a front-end app where you can pull real data from a real API and then act on it and display it. And so you could take this template project and you could put in a lot of different data and just kind of find and replace stuff. And I think over time, practicing from that point would be a good way to get more familiar with React and then start to come up with your own ideas on what you could build. So yeah, with that being said, that's it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, so GitHub, just like a lot of the tools that we use in life, is a tool that is controlled by <laughs> a company. And so if you're, if you're going to be graduating to shadowy supercoder status, maybe you do want to make a NIM on your GitHub at first. Um, I made mine with my first name, uh, actually my first and last name, mainly because when I started coding, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to be very public. Um, but maybe once I graduate to that next level and start working on some, you know, some, some next level technology, maybe I'll make a NIM on GitHub. But GitHub is a great place to start. It's a place where you can learn um, and grow. But I think the future for like, developers and especially Bitcoin developers. In the future, we're probably going to be on something else that maybe we're hosting ourselves, And we're going to have a little more sophisticated setups where we're not just relying on GitHub's cloud. But for starting out, uh, it's really great, you, you know, stacking those commits and having all of your code saved, um, getting to see everyone else's code. So yeah, it's a little bit about GitHub. Yes. Why Coinbase API? Um, well, I was actually looking for a more Bitcoiner API, and uh, I found that a bunch of other people were using Coinbase. And one reason I wanted to use Coinbase is actually their rate limiting, which is a fancy word that means how many times can I pull data from you before you tell me to like F off? And so they let you do 10,000 Git requests every hour. And so I could just like stand here and like refresh my web page like all for an hour and I, I, they wouldn't boot me off. But if they booted me off, that would be bad for the demo. <laughs> so that was my thinking. But yeah, like you can explore um, 
you know, like what Bitcoin APIs are there. There's there's lots of different Bitcoin APIs where you can get all sorts of data. Uh, Lightning as well. Um, in fact, Mempool has Lightning in it now where you could make like a cool React app idea would be maybe make a map of uh, nodes, like a, a node map, because um, that's all just data and you're just displaying it and returning HTML just like we were doing before. Any other questions? Cool. Well, with that being said, I can uh, walk around now and help any of you out. And yeah, really super open to feedback here. Um, I wanted to make this for people to be able to start from zero and, and take it home and be able to go back over it and hopefully learn enough context. but. There's so much information when you start programming. So if this was too difficult, definitely let me know. Uh, also, let me know like what kind of uh, workshops you'd want next for beginners. Um, I'm thinking maybe a very simple lightning app type of thing in the near future. But yeah, so thanks again.